I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with balmy breezes and sublime design as we visit with Palm Beach designer Helen Bergen. This is the story of a tremendous creative who rose to prominence the old-fashioned way, and I and I have old-fashioned in in quotes. Um, Bergen studied her craft, working as a designer from some very talented studios, and when the time was right. She went out on her own. That is a clear path to success for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is that, as Bunny Williams once told us on this very show, that while working for Sister Parish, she learned what she wanted out of her own firm, and she also learned what she didn't want in her own firm. And I think that those are lessons that you can only learn when you work for someone else. You are going to hear about Helen's journey and what makes her so highly sought out in South Florida, as well as other parts of the country, and what makes her so unique. And it is. Her work is unique. And before we move on to that, something you should know about Helen. After our conversation, she sent me two of the most beautiful bowls from uh, Catherine Alsop Pottery. Beautiful. Surprising. And greatly appreciated. Those, it's it's the little things that make the biggest difference. And uh, by the way, if you want to see what those look like, go check Instagram Convo by Design with an X, and look at the dining room design that we did for our Tulsa Remote Design House. You'll see them there. You should know that when I received them, the episode had already been recorded too, and I was already a fan. I'm bigger now. Uh, Helen's amazing, and you will hear her story right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. One of my favorite things to do, I, I love, it's a Monday morning, bright and early. Yes. And I, I love starting the week uh, with a conversation like this. So welcome Thank to you. the show. Thank you nice for having to, me. Absolutely. Um, it's so funny. So how is, how is it this morning in South Florida? Well, I just spent the week in California, so oh, did I'm you? a little bit jet lagged. Okay, um, all right. But I'm I'm happy to be back in Florida. We had such a great trip. It was spring break for my little babies, and we took them out to visit friends and family. And the weather was not ideal, so I'm happy to be back in Florida. I'm happy to be back to work, and I'm happy to be talking to you. I, no, I love it. Uh, just out of curiosity, what what part of California? Did you go so to? So we went to Sausalito for a few days. Um, Very nice. Outside of San Francisco, and then we we were in Manhattan Beach. Uh, my sister lives there, and just had her third baby. So we went to go meet him. That's home. Yeah, that's, that's home not for home, me. But that's where her home is. So no, that's home for me. Oh, seriously, that's where you yeah. are. Yeah. No. Well, no. Now I'm in Tulsa working on a design house project, but oh, Man- Manhattan Beach is home. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I love Manhattan Beach. Nice, right? It's so great. We love visiting. We actually almost moved out there. We toggled between Florida and California and okay. we ended up here, but um, oh, it's such a great landscape out there. It's it fabulous. is. It is. So it's interesting too. Um, I think, so you're in Palm, Palm Beach? Yes. So yes. South, South Florida? Yes. I lived in South Florida for a year. We were in, um, we were in Fort Lauderdale. How do you like it? I lasted a year <laughs> and then I was out. It's, it's one of those places. It's very much, I think it's very much like LA and Southern California. Either, either it's for you or it's not for you, but you pretty much, you pretty much know. Fort Lauderdale's different though. You should give it is. Beach a shot. Yeah. Uh, no. There's been a huge influx of people here, as I'm sure you know, um, the pandemic has changed everything. Mm -hmm. um, so many New Yorkers have moved down here uh, for better or worse. Um, I think both good and bad have come of it, but um, overwhelmingly good. But I don't know. I, Palm Beach has changed a lot. It was very traditional and formal and it's more relaxed now. And Fort Lauderdale is like a whole different ballgame. I don't even go down there. So you need to drive Palm Beach. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but listen, tell me, I, I am a sucker for a good origin story. So you started, you started your firm in 2016? Yes, correct. So tell me the story. How did you wind up in design? Okay, I'll go way back when. Uh, my mother was a set designer. Um, and it's actually where she met my dad. And she is an artist. She's a painter. She's a decorator. She, she loves all aspects of creative endeavors. And she really instilled that in me from a young age. I remember her setting up dioramas and having me cut out every little piece from an architectural digest magazine and reconfigure it as I liked. Um, she signed me up for every art class available. And so I remember are you familiar with Chris Madden? She's, she, since she passed away last year, but she's an interior designer and she did really well for herself and made a big business out of it. And she had a showroom in our hometown of Rye, New York. Okay. And my mom said, go work with her. This, this would be perfect for you. And I was rebellious and it was the last thing I wanted to do because my mom told me to do it. And also she had, um, very, it was very fancy and formal, um, lots of trims and appliques. And uh, it just, it wasn't what I was into. And, you know, had I listened to my mom, I would have known that it's really smart to work for people that don't have the same aesthetic as you. So you can really open your mind a bit. Um, but I said, no, no, no. She wanted me to go to a small liberal arts college. I went to Boulder um, and ended up graduating in 09. And at that time, I was like, okay, I do want to get into design um, and reached out to a bunch of firms. No one was hiring. It was the market crash. So I traveled around Eastern Europe for the summer and I came back and my friend said, there's a firm in New York hiring an agency. It was an ad agency. It had nothing to do with design, but they were hiring and they were willing to pay me 20,000 grand a year before taxes. So I took the job so I could move to New York and I lived above a nightclub in a one bedroom converted to three. And I love New York, but I hated my job so much. Um, and my sisters actually put in an application for a job in Boston where I was making more money, also in marketing, but in sales capacity. And um, so I moved there for that job and I still hated it. So I went back to my parents and I said, you know what? I really want to pursue my passion. You've kind of pointed me in this direction. I didn't take it, but I'm ready now. And I want to go to school for it. And they said, that's great, but we're not going to pay for it. You can figure that out on your own. And so I started to do the math. I had saved no money. Um, I was living my life, my best life. But um, so I started reaching out to I want to say like 200 different designers and getting their opinion on whether I really needed formal training for this, or if I could go more the apprenticeship route. 
Um, and I ended up taking the apprenticeship route just because I was worried about going into debt and not being able to pay it off immediately. Um, and so I got a job with Robert Passal out of New York and as an apprentice, and it was fabulous. I loved it so much. And honestly, day one, I, he had a really cool showroom. Um, and you know, they had $50,000 art deco chairs and, I was down in the basement doing a shoot with first dibs and there were rodents and there was nothing attractive about that aspect, but I still loved it. Um, I just, I loved the tangible. I loved bopping around to the clients and sourcing and shopping and jumping in a cab with a million different lamps, trying to keep them all a juggle. And um, so that's where I got my start. And I ended up shifting over to Cindy Rinfrey out of Greenwich, Connecticut, Um, and that was amazing as well. I mean, she, I quickly rose the ranks, which was fabulous. She, she gave me a lot of wiggle room and, and showed me how everything worked. And we, we worked on huge homes in backcountry Greenwich, um, but also fabulous upper East side places covered in Frankenthalers. And so that was so cool. I ended up moving from her up to Boston and working for Ansley McAleer um, just because I followed my now husband up there to see where the relationship would go. And um, so I reached out to all the designers I really admired in Boston and I ended up getting a job with Ansley. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she is the nicest human being uh, in the world. And she it was a small shop. It was three people. So I really, I learned, um, so much from her and I, I then got involved in more commercial projects, which was really fun. Um, and then I went off on my own a few years after that. Um, I'd worked on two boutique hotels and a number of residential projects. And it just, it felt like the time was right. It was something I always wanted to do. And, I had enough clients on my own where I was busy and working nights and weekends. So I took the plunge. It's so interesting. Um, so much to unpack there. A couple I of know, things sorry, that I just, I really, really, no, 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 it's great. Um, a couple of things that I just want to, want to say off the bat. First of all, I, I love set decorators. I love the art department. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with the set, Decorator Society of America uh, for for years. And what I love about set decorators is a couple of things. They embody everything that is wonderful about design, but they also have this higher standard for which they're responsible. Like if you're a set decorator on a TV show, you don't, and the director says, you know what, that sofa doesn't work. Let's get a new one. So you're respecifying basically on the fly. You don't say no. You say, no problem. And then you go get it done because you can't tell a director or producer, no, we're not going to do that. You just do it. And I think when it comes to having actual clients, sometimes there's, there's a, a push and pull that takes place that set decorators just, there's just a different standard. So I, I love that. The other thing that you mentioned, which I think is really fascinating to me, is that that conscious choice of do I go the academic route and, or do I go the apprentice route? I think um, in talking to so many designers, some who've done it one way over the other, I'm a lifelong learner, yep. but, at, but at the same time, I think I gravitate more to the apprentice route personally um, because I think that real world knowledge that you gain is something that you just, you can't learn that in school. Now you've, you've, you've gone to college. So for a different discipline, but so you've done that, but tell me the difference. Like, what do you think the, that, that apprenticeship did for you that, that the education while valuable might not have been able to provide you with? You know what? I think it's hands-on learning. So you can go to school for a number of years and I am not discounting formal education. I'm with you. I'm a lifetime learner. I will continue to take design courses and learn and educate. 
myself, but um, it just financially wasn't a great path for me. And after speaking to numerous designers, um, even though even designers that had had a formal education um, in the field, it was you you kind of learn on your feet and you either have it or you don't. And everyone has a personal aesthetic, but you have to learn what your client wants and what your brand is promising to deliver. Um, and so the apprenticeship was crazy. I'd come home and I'd be so tired, but I'd have a huge smile on my face because you really are running around doing a million things at once. And that's how you learn, um, you know, especially in the residential space. Um, all these clients have very different personalities. And um, a lot of it is kind of being reactive and presenting to that personality and knowing what they're going to want to see. Um, so it, it worked out from that perspective. Interesting too. I think one of the things that is so, so interesting about that is you don't just learn what you want and what you like, but you also learn firsthand what you don't want and what you don't like. And if for you, that marketing and sales side of things, which by the way, as a highly talented designer like you are, thank you. You you have to market, you have to sell. That is part of the job. That well, is part exactly. Of so I was I was in sales and I was selling um, mobile advertisements, and I was like, I hate this. I'm calling people. Oh, come buy this, and they were like, Why? And I'm like. I don't know. Don't buy this. This is a piece of crap. <laughs> and I'm like, why wouldn't I sell what I love to do and why it works for this person or this, you know, and so I pivoted, but yes, you're using the same skill set in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I do think having a business background is huge because I worked with several people that came right out of design school that didn't have a business background and, you know, and you, and then they were there to learn that part of it, just like I was there to learn the other part of it. But, you know, 90% of it is business. Like, yes, it's so fun to go out sourcing and meeting with artisans and getting to know your clients and shopping with them. But a, a lot of it is tracking, specifying, overseeing construction. It's, it's a lot of brain work um, and business. Yeah. Speaking of which, tell me about the business right now. I, I'm specifically curious about the, and I know you have clients outside of, of Florida and South Florida, but I'm really interested. Tell me about the South Florida market because Florida has absolutely exploded, right? And what, you know, anyone who's been to Florida understands this. Many people really don't, but like California, there is no one Florida. You know, you have, you have very different climates. You have very different economies. You have very different tastes and styles and resources. And tell me about South Florida. Tell me about the work that you're doing now. And I'm curious too, because, you know, I used to frame this, this question a little bit differently, but I'm still interested in the, in, the, in the baseline knowledge of this. Because the business has changed so dramatically, because costs are what they are, because design is so personal, there is no one cost for something. You know, I, I was in a conversation the other day about um, kitchen design in particular and how people are approaching kitchen design and specifically the budgetary side of it. And what's so interesting to me is you can have, many are saying now it's like, okay, well, 10 to 15% of the, the home value is really what you should be, should be specifying as the, as the budget for a kitchen renovation. But if you're in South Florida and you have an average home price of 1.3, 1.6, right? And so you're talking 160, 225 versus a home in the Midwest, which is, you know, 250 to $400,000 still, but they, you know, even 600,000 is a, is a luxury home in many markets. How, how have budgets changed for you? How do you adapt 
to that? And how do you work within? And this kind of goes to both the business side and the sales side. How do you work on that with your clients these days? Yeah. So first of all, the housing market here is bananas. Um, it's absolutely crazy. Um, we we feel very lucky that we got into our neighborhood before it really blew up. I remember when we bought our house and our neighbor said, wow, we can't believe you paid that price for it, which didn't make us feel great. And then our real estate value has tripled and that's in two years. So you think about that. And um, it, so a, a couple things up from what you said. So when I, when we moved here, which was four years ago and I moved my business here, um, basically we, I had signed up this project and it was full house is beautiful 7,000 square foot house. And I was given a budget and then the pandemic hit and no one knew what was going to happen. And then we saw the cost of lumber go up and then we saw the cost of labor go up and my design budget got slashed in half. And so that didn't happen across the board, but that was, that's just an example where it's like, okay. And, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, you start with the architecture of the house. That's, that's, you start with the bones, right? So yes, we can, we can decorate over time. It doesn't have to be done in one full sweep, but do the architecture and the bones correctly from the get-go. And so I wasn't about to step in and say, you know what, we need more budget for the decorating side of things. We took that cut, but then, you know, it changed what we were sourcing. So our, everything we went, we wanted the same look, but we wanted it at a different price point. And that's, that's a lot of the job. I mean, the job is really finding out what the clients want, what they're trying to achieve, how they like to live, what brings them joy, how they like to entertain getting their budget, or if they don't have a budget, kind of putting one together and saying, do you feel comfortable here? And then what's our end date? So it's really sticking to that budget and delivering it at, at on time, which, you know, the global supply chain issue really threw everything out of whack. And, um, you know, a lot of the times we had to pivot on certain items and, luckily we have wonderful understanding clients, but, um, the landscape has definitely shifted. I think in South Florida, um, most of my projects right now are new construction. So I don't know if it was like this in Fort Lauderdale, but it's a lot of little bungalows that are getting torn down for bigger homes. And, um, there's an influx of people moving down here with much bigger budgets and, Part of that is wonderful because it's beautification and it's business um, and it's bringing new money into this community, which is wonderful. It's sad to see some of the bungalows go, but I really love working on new builds because you get to pick out every little detail, which is so nice. You're really building a dream home with your client. Um, you know, up north, it was all really old antique homes and it was just a different, um, different ball field. So I don't know. At the same time, it's really interesting because I, I feel like one of the things that have, that came out of the, the, the pandemic and I, and I, I've, I talked to a lot of designers about this is a couple of things. It reinforced this idea of sustainable design it reinforced the the narrative and the story behind design. Mm -hmm. And as such, it made a lot of clients, like if you have clients who are from New York and they're coming to Florida and they're, they're coming to Boca or they're coming to Palm Beach and they, they want to embrace their new environment. So now material from Florida or from surrounding states you know, using local trades, using local workrooms, really focusing and drilling down. It's unfortunate, you know, that these these wonderful little bungalows go away, but tastes have changed. And that's just, that's the nature of the business. Are you finding that you have more opportunities to stay local, to be, you know, Florida endemic in, in material and taste 
and style. Is it is it getting to a regional point for you as it relates to design, or do you still have the same number of clients who are like, no, I I, I went to Salone and I want that Italian kitchen. I mean, is there a push pull or are you finding that there's a locality and originality to it? I'd say it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, especially going out to California, which I love, I love going out there and it's a completely different design sphere out there, but there's such a big focus on sustainability. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of that year over year here, but it's not as much of a focus. Um, that being said, you know, in Florida, I do think there's a huge emphasis on let's use Pecky Cypress, let's use Coquina, let's use these materials that are native here, which is really nice and it is sustainable, but I don't, I'm not sure people are thinking about that as an, as a main objective. Um, what has happened is more people do want to shop locally. And it's a lot of it is people coming down from New York and they're used to getting things really quickly where Florida for a while, it was like, you're more on Island time. It's going to take a little bit of time. And so now it's like, okay, if you want this immediately, let's go shop locally. We will go pick it up right now. And there are so many great um, showrooms here. We're so lucky to have them and they're, they're all sprouting up. I mean, we have, I don't have, when was the last time you were here? Oh, it's been a while. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm right in antique row. And so it, it, it's fabulous. Like you, you can just, you could shop for weeks and weeks and find new product every day. And based on what your client's looking for, you know, you know, the shops you should kind of go in and focus on. And, um, so that's really nice to have. And from that um, standpoint, it really has changed kind of people's mindset into wanting to shop locally. I, I love that. Um, and one of the things that I, I actually wanted to ask you about, and it's funny because without giving, without giving it away at this point, because I want to I get to it, one of the things that I love to do with designers and and the pandemic pretty much made this possible. Uh, prior to 2020, the number of, of interviews that I did virtually was you could count on one hand. Everything was in person. I did everything with people in person. And I love that. But since then, obviously, Zoom became... I used to do my interviews on Skype um, when I did them remotely and um, never really cared for it. Zoom made it much more palatable and, and a much easier process. So I think it's great. But one of the things that I love to do, and we're going to do this in a little bit, is we're going to go to your website and I'm going to look at your projects and we're going to walk through some of your projects because okay. um, it's just so much fun. And again, without giving too much away, one of the, the projects that I wanted to walk through, one of my favorites, um, I can tell you're in it. So it's your house. <laughs> so... But I wanted to ask you, and this kind of leads into it, the, the mark of a, of a remarkable designer is that you may have preferences, you may have tastes, you may have your own personal style that you love, which clearly you do. But when you're designing for your clients, it's, it's about them. It's not, a, it's not about you know, what you like. It's about what they like. But it's still your tastes inform how you put all that together. Right. Tell me about one of the things that I find so interesting is South Florida is very unique. Um, not all of Florida, but definitely South Florida. You have, you have a Miami style, you have a Keys style, you have kind of like this, there's a difference too in, in Lauderdale and Boca and Palm Beach. And each one has, has different nuances to it. Very similar again to Los Angeles. Right. Personally speaking, what is what is your style that you enjoy? Again, this is not about what you design for other clients. I'm just yeah. curious what you like. Yeah, so I really like inviting design. So I move all the time. I'm very nomadic. And um, I love functional spaces and I like them to be inviting People have described my style as playful. I like kind of clean layers. 
and I'm not afraid to use color. I'm a colorist. I love patterns on pattern. Um, and so, yes, if you walk through my house and you can see I'm, I'm currently in my dining room. I, as I said earlier, I'm a bit jet lagged. I didn't make it to the office this morning. Um, but yes, I have wallpaper on every single wall. Um, I have layers. My, my husband is a little bit more pared down. And when you're in a relationship, you negotiate and he's, he's very good about giving me full reins, but I also want him to come in the house and, and make this his happiest place. You know, we, we got home from vacation and we stayed at three different places and really nice resorts and my sister's house, which is beautiful and overlooking the Pacific. But when we came home, it was exactly what we wanted and it felt so good. Um, you know, we have two little girls and they're crazy. And so everything has to be functional for us. Um, every space has to be used. I use like more of my delicate fabrics in my, my bedroom. So I have a silk bed and I have, I have silk draperies and it's not Liberace, but it's very soothing, um, to my palate. And I do think bedrooms, I always make very soothing because I have a really hard time sleeping and I want to rest my mind and, and I, and everyone wants to rest their mind. Um, but yeah, I would say my personal style is, is more playful. I, I just want it to be comfortable. I want people to get excited when they walk in and not have their eyes settle on one thing, but kind of scroll around and see different elements that bring the whole space together. You are listening to my conversation with Helen Bergen. We'll be right back. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively with respect to interior design, exterior design and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. And because your work is so colorful, because it is, and obviously, you know, we'll look at this in a bit, but it seems like your clients, whether or not you're gravitated to like-minded clients, they, they, seem, to, they seem to gravitate towards that, that same kind of playful, colorful um, you're in being in South Florida where you have Basel in Miami every year and you have just such a rich, robust art, arts uh, and fashion community. Um, is is Florida still pickable? Like, can you still go on a road trip and, and find things, you know, uh, in in flea markets? Yes. The estate sales are incredible. Are they really? Oh my gosh. They're so good. And you know, there are obviously shops that then they get all of their stuff from estate sales. But if you had the time and energy and passion to go to estate sales, they, they're so incredible because style has changed so much. And a lot of people want more simplified, cleaner lines. They're not, they don't want heirloom pieces and beautiful Chinese urn lamps and crystal ware and beautiful silver flatware. And so, yes, estate sales are phenomenal. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to ask you is how do you deal with the, um, how do you deal with the open concept as far as outside in and the unique weather issues that South Florida presents? It, it's so 
important. Um, I mean, the outdoor areas are, you know, people spend half their time outside for nine months of the year from um, July through September. People aren't outside because it's too darn hot or you're just at the beach. Um, But yeah, the loggias, the covered loggias and making sure they have proper ventilation, and also, you know, the drop down hurricane screens are huge. Everyone's doing those now because if there's a hurricane, you leave that down, you leave all of your furniture out there. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to bring it inside. Um, but it's also great to have a screened in Lojo just because it's a continuation of your house. And it is a bit buggy down here. It's not California, um, but it's such a it's such a great place to live. I, I think. There's a huge emphasis on outdoor entertaining. We're doing a ton of summer kitchens, ping pong tables, sun shelves, um, a lot of mini golf situations, putting greens. Um, so there is a huge, huge emphasis on how to make your outdoor space, even if it is smaller, all of it usable and um, and visually appealing. It's so funny because I remember going to Florida and seeing my first fully enclosed screened in backyard. And I, I just thought that is the craziest thing I've I'm ever not seen. Talking about that, Josh. I'm not no, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. I I totally get that. But but I remember seeing that and thinking that is just I, I'd never seen anything like that before. And it was it was a, it made sense because you do have bugs. I mean, the size of birds, some of these bugs, it's crazy. But um, and I guess my point is the regionally speaking, part of the one of the superpowers that designers have is this ability to adapt. Right. And, you know, I was talking to a to a, an architect in Houston who, for a client, they air conditioned the outdoor kitchen. And I thought, OK, <laughs> you know, that's that's I got it. That's what you do. But I but I also think that post pandemic, um, the level of creativity in what you can do, because it's so important to do it is just extraordinary. And with that, you know, you're talking about the ping pong tables and the the outdoor kitchens. Can you remember a time when an outdoor kitchen got the kind of attention that it does now? Almost the same as your indoor kitchen. Absolutely. And um, I, I even like, I can speak firsthand because my husband, even in the pandemic, he thought he was Guy Fieri and started studying all these recipes. Well, it was strictly for grilling, like not in the main kitchen. But, you know, I do think the pandemic, as we were all stuck at home and kind of learning to make the best of it, um, it 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 was actually a good thing in that people really wanted to prioritize their homes and how they lived and give more importance to that. And um you know, uh, I think having a great summer kitchen makes all the difference. Yeah, no question. So with that, you know, and and I will I will put the I will put it out there the same way I always do that. Yes, this is a podcast. And if you're listening to it, you can't see the projects. But what you can do is go to the show notes and um, you can click on the link to Helen's website because uh, we're we're going to go there and we're going to go click on work. And we're going to look at some of the projects. And the first one that I, I want to start with is Little Ranch. Great. That's my house. Why would you name it that? We are on Bunker Ranch. Okay. That's the name of our street. Um, okay. We are, we're in the so-so South End neighborhood of West Palm, which is very bustling right now. Um, and we love our home. It actually... It was a spec home and we outgrew, we moved down here and we were in a rental on the canal. So we had a boat in our backyard. It was Florida living, no turning back. And then I got pregnant with number two and we needed a bigger space and we always wanted to buy. We just kind of wanted to figure out what neighborhood we wanted to be in. And we were, we put in many offers on older homes, you know, our 
our home up north was built in 1880 and the house I grew up in was 1774. And I love older homes and I love, um, you know, bringing out the history in these homes, but no one was taking our offers and the pandemic was in full bloom and I was getting progressively more pregnant. And we walked into this spec house and I said, let's do it. And my husband looked at me like I was crazy. He said, this is everything you said you didn't want. It's a white vanilla box. Are you sure? Like, are you sure you're not being hormonal? Like, And this is it. I can come in, I can customize it and we can get in before the baby's here. And we moved in five days before I gave birth. And we did, I, I say we, but you know, Matt didn't have a huge, huge say in what I did here, but he's, he's ultimately happy. But, um, you know, I basically had a great layout and the floor plan is everything. And this floor plan is very functional for how we like to live and it is open concept, but then it has breakout spaces for the dining room and the playroom and a big master suite far away from the kids' rooms and the guest area. And um, so it it fit the bill and, and we got in and customized it, which was great. So you're in the dining room right now. And I can tell because I'm looking at a, at a, a bigger image. And I, the first thing I have to start with are those palm trees. Yes. Do you like those? I love those and the artwork. Tell me, tell me, and you know why I love doing this? I love because we've identified that this is your place. I'm curious what kind of client you are. Why, what made this so appealing for you? This design? Yeah. Okay. So, so basically we should actually backtrack and start in the kitchen, but let oh, let's do it. that. Okay, let's do that. So when we walked into this house, the floors were laid and the kitchen cabinetry. Let me see. Where is it? The kitchen cabinetry was up, but they had, you know, they had quartz with veining as the backsplash and the counters, but the island was blue. And Back when I lived in New York, we lived really close to Mosaic House, which is a fabulous um, tile company. And I used to walk in there and just dream about owning all the tiles and putting them everywhere. And so I walked in, I saw the Blue Island and I said, I can work with that pink color. And none of the walls were painted at this time, but that cabinetry was manufactured in that blue and um, or it was specified in that blue. And so I kind of came off of that. I, we ripped out all of the, um, quartz veining, which drives me absolutely nuts and put in that backsplash and put in different countertops and picked out all the hardware and wall covering and so on and so forth for that space. But that blue, I kind of worked off of. And so I wanted to kind of marry that room over to the dining room but, but make it a, a, a different complementary color. So brighten it up. And originally I wanted to lacquer this space, the dining room that I'm in now. And due to time and budget constraints, I didn't end up doing that. There's um, a fabulous vendor outside of Los Angeles. Um, I'm currently forgetting the name, but I'll send it to you. I'm so sorry. But they do beautiful lacquered wall covering and they can do it in any color you want. And so this is actually wallpaper, but it's a lacquered finish. So that was a starting point. And with this kind of aqua color, um, which is so, so cool. I wish I could show you a, a close up, but there's a lot of movement in it um, and a good sheen. And I just thought a chartreuse would really make it pop. And then um my friend, David Daly out of New York, he, I commissioned this piece of art from him, which kind of brought in all the energy I was looking for in a dining room. Um, I really, I love to entertain and I love to have conversational pieces and an atmosphere that really, you know, invokes conversation and, and makes people want to stay until three in the morning, drinking several bottles of red wine. And so that was really the start of this space. Um, the 
table and chairs are vintage um, from the 70s. And then the host chairs are um, made of quadrille fabric. And then the that woven rug is from Patterson Flynn and just a beautiful, beautiful print that kind of, it, it grounded the whole space for us. I love that. And, and I want to jump back to the kitchen because a couple of things that, that you did in this, in this space, um, the first, those, uh, those bar stools, I absolutely love those stools. I think those are just so fun and amazing. I think I they're think great. So, cool. so, you know, I love scrolling on first divs and live auctioneers and all, uh, you know, all, all those finds. And, um, I found screw stools that I, absolutely loved and they were $20,000 and I couldn't bite the bullet. Um, and so I actually found these, I hate to say it, but, um, from restoration hardware. And then I, I had them delivered to my, um, decorative painter and painted them white. So they were, you know, an industrial iron finish. And then I had them painted white. Why do you hate to say that? I just, I love one of a kind pieces and why I love doing what I do is if someone came to me and they were like, I want exactly what this Pinterest picture looks like, or I want exactly what my neighbor has. I'm probably not your right person. I want to give you what you want. And I want to help you on that fact finding mission kind of figure out what that is. What do you like about what your neighbor has? What do you like about this Pinterest picture? But how do we make it your own? And so I don't love sourcing from big buck retail stores and it's absolutely necessary in certain times, but because I don't like to have what everyone else has. Get it. Totally get it. But at the same time, you know, isn't, isn't that part of it back to the set decorator idea, you know, it's set decorators go to prop houses. They, they go to garage sales. They go to yard sales. They go to home Depot. They go to target. They go to RH. They go, they go everywhere they need to go. And then you com you compile, you, you, you sort of create this tableau of an idea, right? And it, because you do what you do, it almost, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. It's, it's a high, low vertical, horizontal garage Absolutely. sale to first just, dibs. Just shut my mouth, Josh. I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> no, but I guess, I guess why I wanted to drill down on that a little bit is I, I kind of feel like many, sometimes the most creative designers kind of apologize for their process because they feel like somehow if you get something from an RH or from a Target or from an Ikea, that it doesn't, it doesn't live up to the, to that, to that high standard that you set for yourself. Is, is that it? Because one of the things that I, that's one of the things that I noticed about this space, not because necessarily the stool's made the space, but because the entire composite is just like, I love your kitchen. Okay. I could, I could see myself hanging out in your kitchen, working, doing interviews That's what for, I want. Come for on hours. Over. And, and I just think that the way, the way you, you crafted it and the way you put it together, I just, I absolutely love it. And I'm just curious, you know, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, I, it's interesting that you would say that, you know, not wrong, not right, but just interesting. You know what it is. We were talking about sustainability efforts. And when we talk about some of these big stores, then we're talking about mass production. And, and so it was kind of off of that. But mm. I am not poo-pooing RH or any other sort. Yeah, no, no, I get that too. And, and by the way, when it comes to sustainable design, your take on this, um, it's not a matter of where you, whether you get it like, you know, like fast fashion is is terrible and fast design th there were a number of years where everything was just so so temporary and disposable yep. but if you get something from a big box or from an ikea you know th that 
but you keep it for 15 or 20 years. Totally. Totally. I just had this conversation with my sister um, because she's, she's doing her house out in Manhattan beach. And she, and she was asking me about that. And, and she said, look, I could have gotten this material rug but it would have it wouldn't have stayed as long, even if it was 100% wool, because my kids would draw sharpie on it and it would be in a landfill. Maybe it would deteriorate differently. But um, completely agree. And I do think we'll have these stools for a very long time. My girls love climbing up on them, um, and and they're just they're sculptural and just a, a fun piece of our kitchen. Yeah, no, I I love it. Um, and I, I love also a couple of other just details about your kitchen is obviously the ceilings are are pretty high. Um yes. and the the way that you handle the the verticality of the space, um, because it doesn't look like it's a huge kitchen, but because the verticality is what it is and because it's so differentiated, um, I just I love what you did with the space. Thank you. That's so kind. We 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 love this kitchen too, and I think the high ceilings were such a blessing because it's not, it's not a huge home, but the 12 foot ceilings make all the difference. And, you know, when we first moved in, I had this, um, Philip Jeffrey St. Bart's paper in half of the space. And, and I didn't know what ending point I wanted. And then it was up and I said, you know what, we need additional yardage. We're going to wrap the whole enchilada and go forward. And it makes such a difference because it it really makes it feel like a, a cozy, intimate space, even though there are such tall ceilings. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to see some through lines in some of the other projects. I want to jump over to Palmetto. Okay. Classic Florida. I, I love this space um, and I actually want to start in the master bath. Okay. Yes, this is such, this is such a beautiful bathroom and the nicest clients. What a, what a beautiful spa-like environment. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what went into the design here. So the client's, I kind of touched upon this earlier, but um, creating a soothing, serene space for your your personal primary suite is so important to everyone. Just to have that unwinding space. This these clients have three young kids, and uh, so they really wanted this space to unwind and relax, and just have carved out for them and themselves only. Um, so, so this, you know, they wanted that marble look. This is actually porcelain. It's book match porcelain, um, beautiful veining and it, and it goes down. The floors are, are also a porcelain, but there's no veining on that. We wrapped the counters in the same porcelain material. We did all polished nickel finishes, um, we found this wall covering that has this beautiful sheen to it, um, just to act as almost a piece of art, but not be anything too busy on the eye. Um, and then found this wonderful tub that I'm hoping they use nightly. Um, and that, that was kind of our, our touch point. That's, that's where we started and that's where we ended up. We worked with a a wonderful um, builder, um, Frank Pompa out of Greenwich, Connecticut. And he's also down here. And he was able to execute our vision perfectly, which made all the difference. Um, It was a lot of communication and it came together, you know, even better than how we expected. So I don't see a steam head, but I do see a transom. So I'm assuming it's a steam shower. Yes, correct. And is that, is that a standard yet? Is it close to being a standard? What percentage of your projects do you think are requesting steam? More and more. Um, 75% maybe, if I, really? if I had to put a number to it. I mean, you know, why not add that 
if you can, because it's such a nice luxury to have, right? You're bringing a spa environment to your master bath. And that just continues the conversation of making this own space for yourself and making it really special and a place where you can fully relax and have me time, which as a parent, you really need a lot of, and even if it's only five minutes a day, that's, that's a chunk you'd take, right? It is. And I I want your take on something. Um, There is no right or wrong answer. I don't think I'm kind of, I'm kind of just, I'm weighing in on the, if you have a project and client has specified steam, do you put it in an ensuite or do you put it rather the, the master ensuite, or do you put it in a more central bathroom where perhaps guests, kids can take advantage of that as well? I think it depends on um, the client's priorities and I'm not saying I have selfish clients, but you know, it's usually the, the primary suite and I speaking selfishly as well. I, I put it in my primary suite. I mean, absolutely nice to give to your guests. I don't, I don't know if like two and four year olds need it in their bathroom. Um, but yes, I think guest quarters, wonderful primary, but yes, mostly we're seeing the requests for primary suites. Yeah. Well, I guess the idea there too, is that if you, if you have a room in the home that becomes the home gym, which is becoming again, more popular, but isn't it amazing that you have these spaces that are now steam, sauna, cold plunge, cold plunge. I mean, just what you're what, completely darked out, you know, blacked out for a, for a dark inviting space where you can just go meditate and go so into it and unplug. Right. It's amazing. Well, um, we're seeing all these, you know, wellness spas come up and California has had them for decades, but even California, you know, I was in El Segundo. They had a new one just open up last week and Palm Beach. We've had a slew of them open up this year and people do want it now in their homes. And it's so impactful. Why not? If you have the space for it, you know, carve it out, take care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, your couple of things in, in this living room back to Palmetto. Yes. So I love, love, love your color palette. Um, but between the, the window treatments and the, the, the wall coverings that you applied to the ceiling, I mean, just, there's so much detail here. Tell me about the choices you made in this, in this room. And then I want to go down to, you know, another living room, a living space with that, that other wallpaper. Um, I just love the wallpaper. Yeah. Thank you. The, um, these clients were the easiest, best clients ever. They came to me and said, this is our budget. This is our vision, but adapt. And I went to them with, and, and they had a tight timeline. Um, and I went to them with selections for every little aspect, but one choice, not three choices, not multiple choice. And they said, check, 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 check. Um, so it really worked out well. It it was, it was a great, um, relationship and it was executed on time on budget. So everyone was very happy. Um, but this wallpaper, this so this room you're actually calling out is their family room. So this is off of their kitchen, and they really wanted to make it a space where their whole family could use it. Again, they have three kids, so they wanted kind of a romp room, but they wanted it to be elevated, and they wanted it to look chic. And so it's all performance materials. Um, the wall covering, we could have put it on the walls, but it almost felt too busy. Um, and and it's, there's a lot of exposure to the outside. There are French doors that you're not really seeing on the left here. Um, and so we thought it would have more of an impact just on the ceiling. That's actually from a vendor out of Australia and it's lattice, which, you know, is, is very typical of Palm beach, but it's an updated lattice. It's not a typical lattice you would see. And it's a very 
specific shade of kind of sagey green, which is so pretty. And you can't really see in this picture, but it's all greenery outside. So when you, when you are looking and there's not a glare, it's just greenery. So it's nice to have that kind of start at head and, and drop down um, all the way down to the ottoman. Um, so that, that's where we started with. And then, you know, layering in the pinks, just, it made it feel a bit softer. That was that, you know, I, I pressed the husband on that a little bit. He was anti pink, but you know, it was really more of a salmon. And so we, we had a conversation about that, but ultimately he's very happy with how it, how it all turned out. I love that. I love that. And last project I wanted to, uh, to go to was acorn and I'm, and starting at the top with this particular bathroom with that tile, I just, I love that. I love that tile. Isn't that I absolutely so love that tile. That, and, so, oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. That, um, that tile's from Ann Sachs. And um, this, this project was up in Boston, actually on Acorn Street. So I'm not sure if you're familiar, but Acorn is the most historic street in uh, Beacon Hill. It's all cobblestone street. It's three feet wide and people, it's the most photographed street in Boston. And this was an old town house that we completely gutted and reconfigured. And another wonderful client that really wanted to have fun with this space and has two young children and so wanted to make it very, very livable. And um, so this tile was from Ann Sachs and it, it set the, the tone. Then we found those pendants with the brass and we mixed metals, which I'm always happy when clients are up for doing that. Um, and, and the cross tile that you kind of see on the left-hand side there, that's also Anne Sachs. That's not from the same collection, but I loved how those kind of paired together and just was a different um, vignette from what you're used to seeing in these old Beacon Hill townhomes. Um, and then the cabinetry, we brought in that dark wood, just the floors were more of a dark wood finish. We lightened those up as well and, and replaced a majority of them, but it was important to have dark wood running throughout just because it was Boston. And we, we did have a lot of heirloom pieces from the client's grandmother and great grandmother. And so we wanted to kind of bring that into the bathroom as well, but we did a flat finish just to modernize it a bit and found this really cute hardware to go along. I love this bathroom. I love this bathroom too. And there's just, there's so much to it. Um, the, the amount of texture, you know, for just the manner in which you did certain things um, instead of, instead of having the, the lighting as sconces, which, which I think had you done that might have, have detracted from the tile, you you hung them from the ceiling. It's a tight space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love I love that choice that you made. I really, really do. And another choice is just the amount of texture in this particular bathroom between the the organic nature of of the that particular tile against the geometric in the cross and on the floor. Um, and then and then the wood grain. It just there is so much happening there but it all works together with the mixed metal. I mean, it's just the texture in this, in this space is just so deep. And then you kind of, you, you draw that in again in the image below that, in this, in this niche, this, this little enclave between that lighting, the wall covering, and then again, the tile, which, which is so different, but the, the texturing and the different layers um, and different levels, I just think is fantastic. Thank you. That's actually when you open the front door, um, that's what you see. And um, we had a muralist come in and and do do this on the walls, this wall treatment. And it was kind of off of the Boston Commons, which is a park that's adjacent to Eggcorn Street. But then we had her personalize it. And so the birds represent her children and we added little personal details that only the homeowner and me probably know about. But it, it it's very impactful to them and their family, but um, also as just a random person seeing it, it's it's very visually appealing. Um, and we layered it in this chest we found on Cherish and just fell in love with it. We had looked at a number, but this this took 
took the win and and the flooring, we wanted to do a black and white, but we didn't want to make it uber traditional. We wanted to kind of clean it up and modernize it, but it still, it still fits within the parameters. It still has, you know, the rich crown and, and baseboard and it, it has the, the older details, but it, it cleans it up. I, I love it. I really, really love it. Um, this was, this was so much fun. Thank you for doing this. Um, and thank you for, and thank you for walking me through some of these spaces uh, together. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. I loved it. Please come visit Florida. I want to change your mind about it. I don't hate Florida. Um, Uh it's just, it was, you know what it was? It was Southern Californian, you know, native Angelino going and living in Fort Lauderdale. I think was not a good match. I get it. I get that. <laughs> but I do know that we did love the beaches and I do know that South Florida has a ton to offer, including um, incredible design talent like you, Helen. Thank you so much for the Thank time. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate it. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Helen. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your continued support of both Convo by Design and the design community. A side note, The sponsors and partners you hear on Convo by Design are more than companies with products. Each of the partners I work with have been fully vetted over a long period of time. They're owned and operated by people who love what they do and have dedicated themselves to serving the design community and customers by providing the best products and services available. If you'd like to know why I'm so proud to have them part of Convo by Design, email me. Convo by Design at Outlook.com or on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X. I'd be more than happy to share my experience with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show and sharing the experience. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.